Hello, hello, hello everyone. I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 31 of Unformidable, where we take a look back at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as every player who dons the orange and blue... And did you hear that, you heathens out there? Dons the orange and blue, not the black, so stop your clamoring for the throwback black uniforms. You're going to break Howie Rose's heart and mine, so let it go already. Because every player who dons the orange and blue, or whatever iteration the Mets are doing to try and sell more merchandise and pick up some pennies for the Wilpons, is in their own way unformidable. And it's off-season time. The hot stove is lukewarm, especially if you're a Met fan. The Mets have been eerily quiet thus far. A friend of mine just mentioned how frustrating it is to see some off-season moves start to brew and transpire. See teams like the White Sox seeming like they're trying to go for it. See all this speculation about where big-ticket free agents like Garrett Cole lined up. And, of course, the quote-unquote large market Mets are nowhere to be found in those conversations. And was kind of just lamenting the Mets' lack of off-season activity thus far. However, I decided to be benevolent and optimistic. Very rare for me as a Mets fan. And look on the bright side and say, hey, at least the Mets haven't exhausted whatever limited prospect capital they might have on another reliever or on an aging, overpaid, past-his-prime, PED-taking superstar. Although apparently that's exactly what the Mets often go for if any of the speculation about Josh Hader and Ryan Braun is to be taken seriously. But I digress. I like to vent some opinions about the future, but I'm not here to talk about the present or the future. I'm here to reminisce about the past. I've been thinking about notable Met off-season moves not engineered by Brody Van Wagenen to uh, try to block out painful recent events. And one came up in a conversation with a friend recently, friend of the pod, no friend of mine. No, that's not true, I'm afraid. But uh, my friend, Mr. Robert Ward, again, shamed me with his superior Met knowledge. He Perhaps he should be out here doing this and pegging this trade completely. For I'd forgotten a couple of the ancillary parts that Rob remembered in a very notable off-season trade after the 1991 off-season in which the Mets acquired, well, the Mets sent Kevin McReynolds, Greg Jeffries, and Keith Miller to the Kansas City Royals for Brett Saberhagen and Bill Picotta. Yep, that's right. In case you had forgotten, Bill Pakoda is not just an acronym. He's a real boy. And he was a New York Met for a brief, not-so-shining time. And is the subject of this week's Unformidable. Can't believe it's taken me 31 episodes to find an excuse to name-drop Nate Silver into a podcast. But away we go. Let's take a look at the life, the career and post-baseball acronymic glory of Bill Pakota. William Joseph Pakota was born February 16, 1960, in Redwood City, California. Grew up in California, played baseball at Peterson High School in uh, Sunnyvale, California. Oh, I read that as Sunnydale. Started to think Buffy was real. That would be wonderful. Uh, and then he moved on to 
De Anza College in Cupertino, California. Hmm, wonder if anything interesting is going on in that city these days. Anything notable. Uh, from which he was drafted by the Kansas City Royals in the 10th round of the January 1981 MLB draft. I don't know how big of a prospect he might have been considered. He didn't show much power in the minors, but he did show a penchant for playing all around the field, even then, and at least a bit of a plum with the O portion of OPS. Not that OPS was really a thing in 1981, but he had an impressive eye in the minors. He routinely walked more than he struck out, and his on-base percentage matched or exceeded his slugging percentage several seasons in the minors, where he'd sport like a 385 on-base percentage, but a 375 slugging, for example. And he also stole as many as 39 bases in a season in the minor leagues. So with his uh, deft glove at multiple positions in the infield, good eye and speed, you might guess that Bill Pakoda had utility player written all over him, and you would be correct. 1986 marked his sixth season in the Royals organization, and he finally got the call up to the majors to make his major league debut when rosters expanded in September. Made his MLB debut September 19th, 1986, as a defensive replacement, and went 0 for 1 later in the game. And he picked up his first career hit a few games later, his second career start and seventh career at bat, September 25th, 1986. Pakoda's first hit would come off of future Met Frank Viola, in fact, in a game that pitted two future notable Mets against each other as Brett Saberhagen fated to be traded to the Mets with Pakoda five years later matched up with Viola in that September 25th game. Pakoda doubled down the right field line and scored the tying run, uh, that double off of Viola, his first career hit. But September of 86 would not mark the end of Pakoda's time in the minor leagues. He was up and down for the Kansas City Royals in 1987, 89, and 90, back and forth so much so he was nicknamed I-29 by his teammates, uh, and noting the the interstate that went between the Royals AAA team in Omaha, Nebraska, and Kansas City, Missouri. 1990 marked Pakoda's best season to date at that point in time, and in fact was the last year that he spent any time in AAA. He would spend the entire 1991 season in Kansas City, having what would be far and away the best season of his Major League career, appearing in a career high for him 125 games, 398 at-bats, 6 homers, 45 RBIs, 16 stolen bases, all uh, career highs for Pakoda, hit 286, and had an OPS plus of 109. 1990 and 1991 marked the only seasons where his OPS plus crept above 100 and marked him as an above-average uh, hitter for the league for that season. Combined with his 286 356, 399 slash line, and his solid defense at multiple positions, primarily third base. It's good for a 2.9 war in 1991, according to baseball reference. So you have a player creeping up in age, coming off a career year. Of course the Mets are ready to buy, right? 
In the 1991 offseason, the Mets were coming off their first losing season since 1983. I'm not going to bother looking it up to confirm, but let's just assume with our beloved franchise that that's the longest such stretch of success in team history. I mean, I pretty much know it is, but uh, yeah. The Mets were, in fact, better early in the year in 1991. Uh, They were, you know, about five, six games out of... Uh, first after the All-Star break before collapsing. And going into the offseason, the franchise was simply unwilling to acknowledge that the glory days were truly behind them. Al Harrison kind of officially took the reins over from an, an aging Frank Cashin, dove into the free agent market, signing Bobby Bonilla away from the Pirates, and then a week later, making his other big move, which, as mentioned before, was to acquire another ace to pair with Gooden and Cohn and Sid Fernandez, that being Brett Saberhagen. Uh, The Mets packaged Kevin McReynolds, deemed expendable with Bonilla in the outfield, Greg Jeffries and Keith Miller to the Royals for Saberhagen and Bill Pakoda. Um, Saberhagen was, of course, the big draw, Uh, The Mets apparently were, even though the other names were more memorable and obviously better players, from what I read, what I could dig up about the trade, the Mets apparently were balking the most at including Miller in the trade. He was, uh, so I guess they needed to replace him with another scrappy white dude utility guy who could play multiple positions, and they insisted that Pakoda be included in the trade to round it out. The Mets envisioned him as a big piece and manager for the 1992 season. <sighs> Jeff Torborg uh, talked him up a lot in spring training and talked and said, you're going to love this kid. And in fact, Pagoda did play a pretty decent role in the 1992 team. He appeared in more games than any non-starter, spelling the aging Willie Randolph and Dick Schofield at second and short occasionally spelling Dave Maggot in at third base, but unfortunately providing as little pop as any of those players did in that ill-fated 1992 Met season. I was trying to find a notable Met moment for Pakoda <coughs> ahem, as a hitter, spoiler alert, but in 1992 he did hit 227 with two home runs and 26 RBIs, so wasn't really that easy. But I did find one pretty decent one. Uh, the 92 Mets actually started off decently as well, above 500 through May. And on May 15, 1992, with the Mets trailing one nothing in the top of the sixth inning, Bill Pakota laced a bases-clearing double off of old friend Bobby Ojeda to give the Mets a 3-1 lead over against the Dodgers. The top play of the game by uh, WPA added at 43%. Pakoda scored Randolph, Eddie Murray, and Bobby Bonilla. Ugh, dear God. With that double, giving the Mets a 3-1 lead that they would not relinquish in a 4-1 victory over the Dodgers. The Mets would move to 21-15, and only three back of the division-leading Pirates. Brett Saberhagen would get his third win of the year. Saberhagen gets the win. Pakoda drives in three of the four runs. Looked like a trade that was going to work out, didn't it? Well, that was the last game Sabes would pitch until July. The last win he'd record for the 1992 Mets. And it was three of 
the 26 RBIs Bill Picotto would record as a New York Met as the 1992 Mets quickly faded and disintegrated into the fabled quote-unquote worst team money could buy. The team was double digits out, the book was writing itself, and David Cohn was on his way or has already been shipped off to Toronto by the time Pakoda hit his two career Met home runs in August. One in one on August 14th in the 16th inning of a 4-2 loss to the Pirates after the Mets fell behind 4-1 in the top of the 16th. And then <clears throat> six days later, August 20th, hey, he really caught fire in August, uh, hit a home run as a pinch hitter in an 11-4 win over the Dodgers. Uh, those are his other two uh, offensive contributions I could find. But that late season fade and that atrocious late season 1992 Met play did enable Pakoda to make himself a nice little footnote in Mets history. On September 26th, the New York Mets suffered a 19-2 loss to the National League East champion Pirates. When the score was 18-2 in the 8th inning, Bill Pakota trotted out to the mound to pitch, thus becoming the first position player to take the mound in the history of the New York Mets, which is actually a little hard to believe that it took 30 years for that to happen, given some of the, shall we say, lean seasons between 1962 and 1992. But after surrendering a leadoff home run to the loathsome Met-killing Andy Van Slyke, uh, Bill Picotta retired the next three batters, uh, partially probably because Barry Bonds was mercifully out of the game at that point after, with with the division clinched and the game obviously well in hand. But after the Vance like Homer, Picotta retired the next three batters, line out, two ground outs for a position player pitching performance, uh, nine ERA, not too bad, not quite as good as the his pitching performance the previous season for the Royals when he worked two innings in a game, surrendering only one run, albeit on four hits. But Pakoda probably ranked pretty high. I mean, he's certainly no Desi Relaford. I mean, a lot of pitchers aren't Desi Relaford. Most, most of the Mets' current bullpen is no Desi Relaford, but he certainly quitted himself better than you know, Jose Reyes or... Todd Zeal, or I'm trying to remember all the, I know there's Matt Franco, Derek Bell, Desi Relaford, Todd Zeal, Ploiecki, of course, uh, Wrecker, uh, Rob Johnson, I'm probably probably forgetting someone, but uh, but Bill Picota set the stage, he preceded them all, uh, it's always, a, always an entertaining moment, I think, I mean, of course it means your team is probably getting bombed, so not always ideal, but uh, if your team's going to get bombed, it's always a little entertaining when a position player takes the mound. So thank you for taking the inaugural dip on the mound for us, Bill Picota. But pitching aside, he had a pretty Bill Picota season for the New York Mets. He appeared in 117 games, starting 68 of them. He appeared at each position on the infield, pinch hit 21 times, pinch ran 11 times. So not particularly good, but at least he could be mediocre at a bunch of different spots in a bunch of different ways. Kind of like a dull Swiss army knife. As a free agent after the 1992 season, Pakoda went from the outhouse to the penthouse, as 
Keith Hernandez would probably say, as he signed as a free agent with the back-to-back NL champion Atlanta Braves. Over 1993-1994, he only made 25 starts for the Braves, but as his want uh, was played often as a pinch hitter, pinch runner, late inning defensive replacement. And in fact, it was in pinch hitting that Pakoda had his most memorable at-bat for the Braves in an unfortunate way. Though he was one for three with a walk in his four previous plate appearances in the 93 NLCS, he came to the plate with two outs in the ninth of game six and struck out against Mitch Williams uh, to clinch the series for the Phillies and send them to the World Series and preventing a Braves NL three-peach and a World Series rematch with the Toronto Blue Jays, which I remember as a young man thinking a World Series rematch would be pretty cool at the time, but it was not meant to be. Bakoda spent 94 with the Braves as well and ended his career after the 94 season. The 94 season, of course, ending abruptly with the strike canceling the end of the season. Uh, Pakoda retired after that 94 season. And at this point, his career is now kind of defined by having a projection system named after him. Inning the odd chance you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, uh, Pakoda is an algorithm for predicting future performance by baseball players and teams. It stands for Player Empirical Comparison and Optimization Test Algorithm, named with a wink after Bill Pakoda by one Nathaniel Silver, now of uh, 538 fame. Pakoda is really what put him on the map. He developed the system and he sold it to Baseball Prospectus in 2003 and actually managed it at Baseball Prospectus from, according to Wikipedia, 2003 to 2009, although he really got distracted by a side gig around 2007-2008, as I recall, predicting elections as opposed to predicting baseball results. But whatever you see neat on your news or... Go over to 538 to get a look at the election predictions and the percentages for who's going to win. Just remember, as a little bit of Bill Pakoda that helped take him there, or the algorithmic system named after Bill Pakoda at any rate. I have to admit, I had this image of Pakoda as more of a Mario Mendoza type player, that there was some kind of ironic, let's name the system after a shitty player kind of thing. But actually, Bakota had a pretty decent career as a quintessential utility player. And I guess uh, from what I read, yeah, Nate Silver wanted to name the acronym over someone who he thought of as just an average ball player, uh, you know, not a poor ball player, but uh, someone with more average ability. Bakota actually racked up 9.1 war, according to baseball reference over his career, and quite notably, when I say he was the quintessential utility player, he played every position on the ball field. Um, All around the infield, outfield, first base, started 14 games as a designated hitter. As we've gone over, he pitched twice, and he appeared in a game as a catcher once. So he... Played at every position on the diamond. Can't get more utility than that. For his career, uh, that 9.1 B war, uh, he had 22 homers, had 52 career steals, 
249 batting average, 323 on base, 354 slugging, good for a 676 OPS, and an 87 OPS+. plus. One other fun fact, uh, two of those 22 career home runs, the only pitcher he hit multiple home runs against was against the big unit, Randy Johnson, both of them in 1990 when Johnson was on the Mariners, of course. For the Mets, as noted, Bakota had a relatively disappointing 1992, as did the New York Mets franchise as a whole. He hit two home runs, stole nine bases, and his slash line was 227, 293, 297, uh, 69 OPS plus, 590 OPS, and good for 0.3 war, according to baseball reference. Not sure of his pitching war, but he will always at least be remembered in Mets history for being the first position player to take the mound as a New York Met. He will always be remembered, I would imagine, in baseball history now, thanks to the algorithmic system named after him. So for many reasons, Bill Picotta is unfermentable. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unfermentable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow, you can follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find this and all of our amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Please subscribe, leave a review for us. It really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R. And the show is at Unformidable. Thank you. Let's go Mets. Come on, let's go Mets. Seriously, do something. Spend some fucking money already. Yeah.